This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. But then it happened and it was it was just beyond my wildest dreams and all the angst I had been feeling about spending that much money just completely dissipated away. It was a hundred percent worth it. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today we're talking about how to pay for your wedding without going into debt. With many lending companies offering convenient yet very high-interest wedding loans these days, it can be tempting to borrow money to have your ideal wedding day. After all, the average cost for a wedding, according to Debt.com, is around 35000 bucks. Now that is a lot of money. The unfortunate thing with borrowing is that that debt follows you into your first days of your marriage, and with money fights being one of the top reasons for divorce... Starting off with five figures of wedding debt might not be an ideal starting place for this lifelong partnership. Today, I've invited someone on the show who's not only experienced the emotional and financial hardships of debt, but she figured out how to combat it and eventually pay for her $40,000 wedding in cash. Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez is my guest today. Stephanie is a nationally recognized millennial money expert and the author of the book, The Broke and Beautiful Life. Stephanie's work and advice has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, and Oprah Magazine. As a go-to money expert, Stephanie has appeared on ABC World News, CBS, Fox & Friends, Fox Business, Bloomberg, Reuters, Woo, The Dr. Oz Show, and various other print and digital media outlets. She currently lives in New York City with her brand new husband. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Well, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So, Stephanie, you weren't always a millennial money expert. What what kind of financial struggles did you deal with before you got that moniker, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I was far from a money expert. I was actually an actress. I majored in psychology and in drama. So I spent the first seven years out of school uh, as a professional musical theater actress touring the world, touring the United States. And my, I guess, origin story with money was making very little, unsurprisingly, as an actor. And also not having any kind of consistency with my income, with my benefits, with anything. I didn't know when I was going to get paid, how I was going to get paid. Uh, I didn't have health insurance, all the things. So the really big moment for me was I got my dream job right out of college. I was on the road, on tour, and it was great. I was saving money. I was living off of the per diem that they gave us so I could bank my entire salary. Like I was doing all the right things. But then the producers flew out and they were like, hi, it's 2008 and there's a financial crisis. So we're going to shut this down. And I come back to New York City in 2009 as an unemployed actress at the height of a financial crisis. And I have my moment of, oh my gosh, this is actually difficult. And uh, my next 
job offer was for like $225 a week. And I said, well, that's completely unsustainable. I make more working at a restaurant. And I ha- kept having those kinds of moments. And one of the big ones was um, when I actually had an issue with my teeth and I had to go get a dental implant and they told me it was going to cost $2,000 and I didn't have any way to pay for it. <laughs> uh, I didn't have the money. So I just sat there and I cried and I was like, I never, ever, ever want to feel this way again at, at the mercy of my money or my lack of it. And that was a huge turning point for me to start seeking out resources in the realm of personal finance, like books, like classes, and really start building an education around money and how to make it work for me. That's incredible. So did you have at that moment with the, the dentist situation, did you have to go into debt to live this life that you had and, you know, to keep things going? Yeah. So I went into debt a couple of times, <laughs> nothing. I, I'm fortunate that I never went into a degree of debt that was, uh, hanging over me for years and years and years. But I did have those scenarios where I just didn't have the money. And so I relied on credit cards and I was lucky enough that I had relatively good credit that I could qualify for things like 0% APR introductory periods and be able to pay off those debts during those times. So I was always really, really frugal and really, really like money smart about some things, but not not really holistic about my approach to money. And what I learned during that period was that like, you can't out frugal your way to rich. You need to know more than how to live on nothing to get ahead. Yeah. And it sounds like it was a a bit of an income problem too, as opposed to, Hey man, I've got this outrageous life because you said you're frugal. So what did you do to increase your income from that point to kind of improve your money situation? I understood you, you found some resources and books and things like that that inspired you, but what did you do to increase your income? Yeah, you're completely right in that it was an income problem. And um, changing uh, how much money I earn has completely changed my life in a way that no other money tactic has. So I can't overstate how important that was. Um, and I started in all, all kinds of ways. So I was a side hustle extraordinaire, and I still am. And um, that meant doing everything from you know being a personal assistant to babysitting, doing things to really just kind of make ends meet, and also simultaneously building out a new skill skill set with skills like writing that were in higher demand and could potentially lead to some more lucrative side gigs. Um, And I started slowly freelance writing for people. And that's turned out to be um, kind of a way for me to pivot into a career I never anticipated because I already had the skill set of storytelling and connecting with audiences. And it was just taking my existing skill set and bringing it to a market where there was actually demand. (laughs) You know, the thing about acting for a living is that there there are, you know, 50 other people who are just as talented as you, who look exactly like you, who can do the same job for less and they will. And it was a little bit different when I started freelance writing. This was more of an in-demand skill. There weren't that many people who could do it. I was able to, to harness my storytelling abilities to connect to people a little bit 
differently than a lot of the other writers out there. And because that was more of a unique skill, I was able to command more money. And slowly I started asking for more and more and my clients became bigger and bigger. And so did the paychecks. I love it. So you diversified your income from that starting point into different areas. You were babysitting, you were doing all this different stuff. And then you found something you said, Hey, I've got actually, I've got a skill here and it's a higher in demand or at least a higher pay. And then you started to invest there. Is that right? That's correct. Awesome. That's incredible. So let's talk about this wedding because with these new skills and your experience being through debt, it sounds like it's something that you maybe didn't want to experience again. Is that why you wanted to pay for your wedding in cash? You know, I never even considered going into debt for my wedding. Like it didn't even come into my brain as an option. And that's been true for me with debt. Uh, by and large, the debt I have accrued over my life has been um, generally because of medical issues, things I couldn't avoid. But when it comes to things that are discretionary and I consider a wedding a discretionary expense, I don't even think of debt as an option. So I think that was a really clear starting point for me that whatever we were going to do was going to have to happen within our existing means. Excellent. And then your husband, what are his thoughts overall on, you know, this personal finance world? And then again, paying for your, your wedding in cash. Was that, was that something you guys were on board with? <laughs> yeah. So my husband is a professional stagehand. Um, and he was always a bit of more of a spender than I was. Um, but he was never like crazy irresponsible. And I think where our dynamic has kind of helped each other is that I think he's allowed me to to see the value in actually spending my money in alignment with my values. Cause if you had told me I would have spent $40,000 on a wedding, I would have said you were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually I, I have zero re- regrets about it. And part of that attitude comes from, you know, being with my husband and, and, um, you know, vice versa. My husband, um, has never really spent more than he's made, but he hasn't been very diligent about his finances. Like he would not pay off his credit card balance in full. I don't know why he could, but he didn't. And so like in that regard, I think I've had a positive influence in that. Like he automatically does that now he automatically contributes to the 401k. And so we've had this kind of influence on one another. And I think what's more important, um, an open dialogue about our money since day one, that's been really beneficial. I think that's incredible. You're, you're, you're describing a relationship that sounds eerily familiar to me uh, <laughs> in my in my marriage, as a lot of people who listen to the show know. Uh, so that that's great. I'm glad you had those discussions beforehand. And you're seeing the positives of the differences because some people don't see those positives. Some people think it as like, he's wrong, I'm right. And that's where the friction happens. And I really appreciate you seeing that as a positive and working for that middle ground. Um, so kudos to you as you start your brand new marriage. That's super cool. So let's, let's talk about how you saved up enough money to do this. I understand you increased your income, but let's, let's I guess, go get nitty gritty. How can somebody save up enough 40000 bucks to mm. to pay for a wedding? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really important to understand is that my current husband and I have been dating for seven years. And when we first started dating, our each of our incomes was a third of what it is today. So one of the people I one of the things I tell people is that like 
if you want to have a big wedding, that's fine. And if you want it to be extravagant, that's fine. What's not fine is putting yourself in a bad financial situation to do it. So if it's a priority for you to do something that's a big blowout, extend the engagement before you overextend the budget. Now, we weren't engaged for a long time, but we dated for a very long time. And I was 32 when I got engaged. My husband was 32 when we got engaged. So what that meant was that not only had we had a lot of time to really position ourselves in our careers where we were making significantly more money than when we met at 26, um, it also meant that we had had time to save. And the other piece of this is like, we live in New York, which is not, um, you know, very cost effective on a day to day <laughs> basis. However, um, living in New York also enables us to earn a lot more money. As I said, my husband's a stagehand. He makes six figures and doesn't have a college degree. Um, I work in media. So, you know, I, my job is really contingent on New York. So, you know, the, the cost of living in New York City has, has a net positive for us because we're able to earn a lot of money. But my point is, um, because we live here, we have never really had a big expense. We, my husband did buy a car a few years ago, but even that was like $8,000. I've never owned a car. Again, I'm like 33 years old. I've never purchased a car. I don't own a home. I don't, I haven't had anything huge that's really taken up a huge chunk of my money since I became, you know, a full fledged independent adult. And so because of that, and because of the increase in my income, we were really able to build up savings really slowly and steadily for about six or the six years we were together. So that by the time, we were like, okay, we're going to get married. We each looked at each other and we're like, okay, let's, let's see what we have in savings. And we agreed that we'd each contribute $15,000 to our first joint savings account because we had it. We already had it saved and we didn't know what it was for, but we knew eventually we would need that money. And we had gotten into the habit of setting money aside on a consistent basis so that when we did have a milestone goal, we'd be prepared to fund it. Now I, we did start this journey with $30,000 in the bank. Um, and that's wonderful. However, during the process of planning our wedding, we also moved and between the moving costs and getting a new apartment and all that, we, we, uh, used about $10,000 of that money to fund our moving cost. So now we're about $20,000 shy of how much our wedding actually cost. So one of the other things that we really prioritized was um, trying to space out our vendor payments throughout the wedding planning process. So for example, we had to make a deposit on the venue about six months before the wedding. So we already had that money coming out of our savings, but then we went through moving and everything. Um, and we had to rebuild our savings and spacing out those vendor payments over time, over the six months between, you know, when we really started planning and the wedding gave us time to really aggressively rebuild our savings. And we did some things that, you know, uh, a financial planner might say, oh, that's not the best idea. But like we paused our retirement contributions for a month because that enabled us to use money now in the moment. And like, is it the most ideal situation? No. But is it a trade-off we thought was worthwhile? Absolutely. That's great. And, you know, sometimes uh, people have their parents contribute or, or their spouse's parents contribute. Did that happen in your situation? So we did not want to take any money for our wedding because um, you know how people feel ownership of 
things if they contribute to them. And (laughs) that was kind of an emotional situation that we didn't want to deal with, uh, especially because my husband and I are not very traditional. We really like to do things our own way. And we knew that if we accepted money, we, from our parents, for example, that we would kind of be beholden to them in terms of the way they think we should do things. And that's not to say that we don't regard the values of our families in planning the process, but we really wanted this day to be about us and our values and to express that. And so that's why paying for our own wedding was a priority. That said, we did get a couple of surprises throughout the process. For example, when I went to the liquor store, I went with my parents because they have a minivan. And so we were buying all of our own liquor for the wedding. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to use the minivan and you guys can help me carry it. And then at come checkout, you know, I think we had a, a, a pretty hefty bill around like $1,800. And my dad wound up paying for it. So that was a really wonderful surprise. Um, we way overbought liquor guys. You don't need to buy that much liquor for your wedding. My parents now have like a three year supply of liquor, (laughs) but I think, you know, that was a really great way to accept money for us because one, we weren't anticipating it. And then two, it was really relegated to that one thing. I think if you are going to accept assistance from your family members, if you can say, oh, you know, you guys can pay for the band or you guys can pay for the food, then it kind of can help try to contain their input and opinions to that one singular expense rather than your entire wedding. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 
to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for taking the time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. You set this budget. You say, "Hey, we're gonna send. We're gonna spend forty thousand dollars on this this wedding." And mm-hmm. as things happen with events, I work in events, so I know that <laughs> you set the budget, and then things change. Like things change during the process. So. How did you, did you experience this at all? Were there things that changed during, during, you know, the weeks that led up to it or things that added up to higher than 40 or less than 40? How did that go? Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I, I had not really come up with like the most solid number about like what we will or won't spend. I just was like, we won't go into debt. And that's like my line, but we originally had $30,000 in the bank and the wedding wound up costing 40. So we had to continue contributing to, um, the vendors over time and shifting money around. And in terms of like where those surprise expenses came from, there was just, there was so much of it. Like there, there's so much we didn't do. And yet our wedding still cost $40,000. And a lot of that was, it's an extra, two dollars per person for a caterer to cut the cake that I'm providing. Right. (laughs) So like, this is the thing about wedding planning. When I, when I hear the average numbers, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been commenting on the cost of weddings about how ridiculous it is. But then when you go to actually sit down and do it, you're like, well, what am I going to do? I'm already invested this much, this heavily, the caterers there. I want to bring my cake. Um, I'm bringing it myself. Am I not going to serve the cake that I'm bringing myself because they're going to charge me a fee? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay the extra $500. And this happened to me with ice too. Like they were like, Oh, it's an extra $5 per person for us to provide ice. And I was livid. So I was like, no, forget that. I'm going to go shopping around the Upper East Side where my wedding was and find a grocery store to deliver ice. Well, all in all, that saved me about $30. (laughs) And it took me like two hours of my time and like stress that was completely not worthwhile. So I think that was one of the big surprises with the planning process was that the cost of my time and energy wound up being more valuable than the dollar amount. And I think that's different for every person, but in my case, it wound up making more sense to spend extra money to make things easier than it was to DIY more. So just like everyone's budget, there are certain things that somebody will spend more on that bring them value and things that they spend less on that don't bring them a lot of value. So what in your wedding did you feel good about spending a good amount of money on and what things didn't you spend a lot of money on that maybe a typical wedding would have had? Yeah. So one of the things we spent a lot on was food, which is not surprising. Um, but, uh, in addition to the wedding meal itself, we wound up serving and catering um, a meal on Friday evening before the wedding, Saturday morning, Saturday lunch before the wedding, Saturday evening after the wedding, and Sunday brunch following the wedding. And one of the reasons we did that was because we got married in New York City 
uh, it's a little bit tricky because a lot of our friends and family live in the area. It's a little tricky to create kind of like a community feeling in a big city. And we really wanted that. That was a priority for us. We've been to a lot of weddings that were a weekend away somewhere in the country and everyone spends time together and people fly in and, you know, you really get a sense of the families coming together, the communities being built and the relationship being built. And we know that within a five hour window of a formal wedding, that wasn't going to be able to happen. So we wanted to create an atmosphere, but by serving many, many meals and by booking this penthouse suite at this hotel with a private terrace, which was also very expensive, where everyone could come and aggregate before the wedding, um, after the wedding and like all weekend long, um, to create that community feeling that was a priority for us. And it was expensive to feed and, and basically house everyone, but it was so worthwhile because that was the biggest value for us of the wedding. I would say in terms of what people maybe typically spend money on that we didn't spend any money on. Um, I, I did not have any bridesmaids. Uh, so that really saved a lot in terms of not just costs for me of, you know, paying for friends to get their hair and makeup done, but also for them of having to maybe buy a dress or anything specific. I still spent the day with my girlfriends. We took photos together. We had a wonderful time. I just didn't think that was an extra necessary cost. I saved a lot on flowers. Speaking of flowers, uh, I went to the New York City Flower District the day before the wedding, picked up about you know, $300 worth of wholesale flowers. And we put some bouquets together. I know people spend thousands of dollars on flowers. We had almost no decor. Um, we were in a beautiful venue that in and of itself, you know, overlooked Central Park on one side, overlooked the Metropolitan Museum of Art on the other side. We didn't really feel there was a need to add anything to it. Uh, we didn't have any favors. <laughs> we, our favor was like six meals. So, <laughs> you know, it, it was just a lot of weighing, weighing, um, you know, what, what you said, what's a priority for us versus what isn't. I love that. That's great. That's very cool. So you said, I think a couple of years ago, you would, you would look at spending $40,000 a wedding and roll your eyes and say, that's ridiculous. So you've had, yes. you've now had your wedding and you spent $40,000 on it. Was it everything you'd hoped for? It was so much better than anything I hoped for, which is wild to say. You know, people keep asking me how it was. And I think it's because I, I had so few expectations of my wedding. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad thing to say, but you know, it's not something I fantasized a lot about uh, growing up. And then, you know, when I was planning it, it was all about the logistics. But then it happened and it was it was just beyond my wildest dreams and all the angst I had been feeling about spending that much money just completely dissipated away. It was a hundred percent worth it. That's awesome. If you had to think about one specific thing from your wedding that you just loved the most that you spent money on, what would it have been? Oh man, it's, it's gotta be the, the penthouse hotel suite we, we booked. Uh, there was a huge private terrace. I mean like a capacity for like 50 people on this private terrace overlooking central park. Um, it, we had absolutely stunning weather. We had people out there all weekend and the night before my wedding, after everybody left my, uh, now husband and I sat out there chatting with each other. And then we were rehearsing our first dance outside on this private terrace overlooking Manhattan. And it was such a special moment. And that room was very expensive, but it was so worthwhile for those moments. Sounds like an epic party. Way to go. That's great. That's <laughs> awesome. So I understand one other thing that you didn't spend a lot of money on was the engagement ring. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
That's correct. We spent $0 on an engagement ring. <laughs> so why, why is that? Why did you guys choose to do that? Yeah, well, actually, my fiance did give me an engagement ring. Um, but, you know, I, I as soon as he proposed, I was like, yeah, I'll marry you. But, you know, how, how do you feel about me wearing this ring? And the reason I did that was because I, I one, I, I'm not big on jewelry to begin with. It's not really a value of mine in a way that I guess food is <laughs> or spending time with my friends and family. Um, and two, you know, for me, like an engagement ring is redundant. I do have a wedding ring. So I figured, you know, if I'm going to get a ring in a year when we get married, I, I don't, think it's really necessary that you spent all this money on an engagement ring and how would you feel if we returned it and then used that money to fund our wedding and whatever other goals that we have as a couple as we're moving forward into this marriage. And that was something that my fiance at the time, now husband, was totally on board with. And one of the really interesting things we did during that conversation was, um, I, in my typical personal finance nerd um, fashion, was like, so, you know, what are all your goals for the next five years? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like, you know, the thing people do when they get married is, especially when it comes to money, is like all roads lead to the wedding as if the wedding is the final destination rather than what it really is, which is the start of your marriage. And so I really wanted to start thinking about what our wedding and engagement meant within the context of the rest of our lives rather than as a destination. And if we're going to spend a lot of money right now, whether it's on a ring or on our wedding, I understood that that would mean less money for things that we might want to do in a year or two years or three years. So before we made any money decisions, I really wanted to think about what we wanted to do in the next you know, five or so years that would otherwise ha- make demands on our money Um, you know, let's say buying a house, if we wanted to buy a house right away, we might not want to spend $40,000 on a wedding. Um, And had that been a priority in either of our five-year timeframes, then yeah, we probably would have spent less. But because we went through that exercise of kind of like mapping out exactly some of the things we wanted to do in the next few years, we were much better able to prioritize our wedding and uh, engagement and all that finances within the context of the rest of our marriage. I love that. How did you bring that up? Did he propose and he showed you the ring and then you said, well, 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 let's fill out this (laughs) form here that I have that talks about the next five to 10 years. when did you bring it up? Okay, so immediately I was like, okay, I was I was very much in shock. I don't know why as someone who has had been dating for 6 years, I was in shock that my fiance proposed, but I was. And one of the things I was like, "Oh my gosh, you got a ring." And he's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Uh, what do you think if like we we turn it in and then like use the money to pay for the wedding. I said it immediately. (laughs) And I think I get a pass a little bit because my fiance knows what I do. But I also think I get a pass because like I've established a pattern of behavior about being mindful about money from the first time we went out. The first time he asked me out, I was like, yeah, I'll go somewhere with you, but I'm on a budget. So it's got to be somewhere cheap. So I think having talked about 
everything in our lives this way since the first time we went out together. My fiance isn't like totally put off or caught off guard when I do something as unromantic as suggesting that he <laughs> return the engagement ring for money. It's because he, he knows in six years he knows you, right? I mean, so yeah. he probably heard you say that and you're like, he's like, yeah, that sounds about right. Sounds about right. <laughs> exactly. So you, you talked about the next five to 10 years. Are there any other high ticket items that you guys are saving up for in the future? You talked about potential house. What, what What's exciting for you now? You know, it's so funny because I, as I mentioned, we're a little bit non-traditional, but it's funny because we're, we're in our mid thirties now and we really don't have anything major on our, on our horizon. What we're really committed to is, um, building our careers and really enjoying, uh, the lifestyle we have. We, like I said, we live in New York, we love to travel. And though we don't have a very specific goal, like we're paying for a 40, thousand dollar wedding, we are still saving as though we do because like this wedding, we imagine something's going to come up. That's probably pretty big ticket in the future within the next five to 10 years. And we might not anticipate exactly when that's going to happen, but we know it's not a matter of if, but when, and because of that, we just have a practice of setting money aside and rebuilding our savings, uh, all the time. And because of that, it allows us to be more prepared when those big milestone moments come up so that, for example, when we do get engaged, uh, we had each $15,000 to put in. Got it. So savings and investing, that word can sometimes get commingled. Where are, yeah. you, where are you physically putting this money that you're planning for for the future? So it, de- it depends. Uh, for the money that we are thinking of as 10 years plus out, we invest that money. So we have, obviously we have retirement investments. So those, that's our, that's our 60 plus <laughs> money. Um, and my, my husband has, uh, he's part of a union. They have great benefits and he maxes those out at work. I have, um, a SEP IRA since I'm self-employed and I make you of that. And that's our retirement investments. Then we have regular taxable investment accounts, and those are for our savings goals that might be 10 years plus down the line. And then what's a priority for us right now is really rebuilding that what we call life money. Um, Kind of we have the emergency fund, we have the long-term savings, we have the long-term investments, but we got a lot of life we want to live in between. And while we don't know exactly what we're going to do with that life right now, we don't have a huge milestone on the horizon. We do know that there are things that we like to do that are likely going to be pretty expensive. So we like to have that money accessible, but growing. And so for us, that looks like a high yield online savings account. We were getting 2% interest on our savings (laughs) for the short term, (laughs) but I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. But we don't leave that money sitting in a checking account. We don't leave that money, you know, sitting somewhere where we're going to access it too easily or where it's not going to grow. Got it. Well, thank you for getting specific with us. Sometimes that helps people to know the exact details. So there's somebody listening right now that's either thinking of getting married or they're engaged and they want to have a debt-free wedding so they don't have to think about this debt on the first days of their marriage. What is one piece of advice that you would leave with them today? 
I would really recommend the, the five-year exercise uh, of really not just thinking about what you want your wedding to look like, but what you want the next five years of your marriage to look like or 10 years of your marriage to look like and have your wedding be part of that. And then once you see your wedding within the context of all the other goals you have with your spouse, then you can better decide how to allocate resources for it. I love it. Starting with the why in the beginning instead of how we're going to do it. I love it. Very cool. So Stephanie, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today about this big day of yours and how you did it in a debt-free fashion. Where's the best place people can find your book and then connect with you? Yeah, my book, The Broke and Beautiful Life, is on Amazon. If you Google it, you'll find it. Uh, And I'm also very active on Instagram for any of the Instagram users out there at Stephanie O'Connell. Excellent. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. way to start your marriage. That is so cool. That's a partnership with goals, a vision, and a bright financial future ahead. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Number one, set a vision for the next five years. I so appreciated when Stephanie talked about spending more time on planning your future after the wedding than the wedding itself. Knowing that this event is only one day and your marriage is, what, thousands of days? What's more important, right? Number two, talk about a wedding budget beforehand. Work with your spouse to set an overall budget for the wedding costs. This can help you have important conversations about how you're going to achieve the difficult task of saving up for the wedding. These conversations can be an excellent starting point for a marriage focused on compromise, partnership, and really understanding each other's values. Number three, invest in what's most important to both of you. If fancy flowers and decor is less important to you than plentiful food and an awesome wedding venue, then dial down the budget on the flowers and decor and amplify the budget on the food and the venue. This is your day. Choose what's most important to you and your spouse. Stephanie, thank you so much for connecting today and sharing your debt-free wedding success. I wish you and your husband the happiest of days to come. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, join the Marriage, Kids, and Money community. This is a bi-weekly email that I'm sending out that gives you updates on upcoming meetups and financial tips and all sorts of other great information. You can join up at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash playbook. And for doing so, I'll give you my free ebook, The Young Family Wealth Playbook. Number two, subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast player. And then the last thing, number three, share this episode with a friend who's planning their wedding like Stephanie and looking for some money inspiration. You can find this show and all the links and resources mentioned at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 154. That's session 154. And if you are new to this show, thanks for checking it out, by the way. I would highly recommend you check out session 116, The 10 Steps to Young Family Wealth and Happiness. You can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 116. It is a great place to start. 
In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from the Dalai Lama. Let us reflect on what is truly of value in life, what gives meaning to our lives, and set priorities on the basis of that. Your priorities and your actions define your character, my friends. Carpe diem! 